Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 136 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. It's not just the two of us. We are a trio this week. We're joined also by our US correspondent, Miss Mimi Melendez. Mimi, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Very, very good. Ayaz is good also. Right, let's uh, let's waste no more time. Let's dive straight into the reviewing. Let's start, though, in a place called the Town Hall in Malvern, Australia. Just two fights to mention on this bill, by the way. Two twin brothers. You know, they're, they're not just twins in terms of, uh, you know, actual brothers being twins, but they actually have twin records as well. They're both now 17-0. and 0. Both of them picked up wins here. Um, Jason Maloney moved, like I say, to 17-0. and 0. It was a uh, a retirement against a guy called Kohi Kono, who's really been around the block, the Japanese fighter. He actually retired on his stool after six rounds. He didn't come out for round seven. I believe he was he was cut quite badly on his eye, and um, you know his, his corner decided to stop it. So that's quite unusual, I suppose. That one was for the WBA Oceania bantamweight title. But the other brother, Andrew Maloney, he defended his WBA Oceania super flyweight title against Richard Claveras, and he moved to, like I say, 17-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. It's crazy there. Two twins, exactly the same wins on their resume, exactly the same number of fights, and they've both got exactly the same title, but two different weights. It is quite remarkable. Moving over now, though, to a big one that happened at the Air Canada Centre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Let's start with the undercard. One or two fights to mention. No, just the one, actually. Oscar Rivas, the heavyweight, 23-0. He's now 24-0. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds. He successfully defended his NABF heavy heavyweight title in the other corner a man called Herb Habu who was 29 and 2 two losses though um both both distance losses he hadn't been knocked out and I was expecting something quite impressive from Oscar Rivas but unfortunately he did not show us that at all he's the guy that's I believe I think he was an Olympian he's Colombian but he's based in Canada now and it wasn't very impressive it was a bit hard really to actually stay interested in that fight he seemed to just kind of coast it really a unanimous decision over 10 rounds there for Oscar Rivas but the main event here a very very much drama filled main event and also a fight that we've all been looking forward to since the minute it got made um, Adonis Stevenson in one corner, 29-1 and one going in, taking on Badu Jack, 22-1 and one with two draws. The WBC World Light Heavyweight title was at stake, that of course being Adonis Stevenson's title. I'm going to start with you first, Mimi. What a fight it was that we were expecting and what a great fight it turned out to be in the end. Yeah, the Stevenson-Jack fight was very interesting. We saw in the beginning rounds that Stevenson was basically initiating the action. You see a lot of evasive... Um, reactions from from Jack. Um, Jack, I guess, was like being very, very wary of that left hand with good reason. Steven, it was a slow round, but you know, out of the two, 
you know, the first round out of the two, uh, Steve, um, Stevenson was the busier round, so I gave him that round. Um, in round two, again, Stevenson was keeping Jack on the outside, not letting him to come in, you know, not letting him come inside. Um, he was super careful of his left again. Uh, he was, oh, and he hit, actually hit Stevenson with great on a flush overhand right. Um, and you could see that he was trying to time Stevenson as well. Still was a slow round, but I gave it to Stevenson. Uh, round three, there was a lot of jabbing um, Stevenson from Stevenson. Um, <clears throat> he was trying to, you know, use the jabs, find his range. Uh, Jack landed to the body a couple times, landed some solid rights. He was starting to let his hands go at this point. Still, I gave the round to Stevenson. Uh, round four, uh, Stevenson came out, landing combos, you know, but then we just saw Jack just, we started to see Jack come out of, our, out of his shell a little bit, you know. Um, he was landing you know, the jab and the straight right. And he just, he did this really, really sharp one-two that I was just, you know, really shocked with. And I actually, I, but I still gave Stevenson that round because he was the busier of the two for about the first four rounds. Um, round five, uh, Stevenson was um, still keeping busy, you know, but you just saw a lot of tying up at this point. I don't know if it was, you know, him starting to get fatigued a little bit, but I did find that he was tying up a lot more than the first four previous rounds and Jack landed some, you know, some nice hooks to the body. Still, you know, I gave uh, Jack that round because I felt like Jack was, you know, a little bit more precise out of the two. Um, round six, we have um, Stevenson, you know, still walking him down, you know, um, <clears throat> but he still was, um, he wasn't as active as he was the first, you know, the first previous rounds. And then also I did find that Jack started landing combos at that point. So in my opinion, I felt like Jack won that round as well. Um, round seven, we see a lot of like open mouth breathing from Stevenson. There was just, he just seemed to be fading at this point, which is what was this, what basically what Jack's, you know, corner's plan was, was to let him fade so that way Jack could come in strong in the second half. Cause we all know that Jack is, you know, he's known for being a slow starter. So we saw, you know, Stevenson fading. Then we saw Jack come in with, you know, great combos. He was actually becoming the busier of the two at this point. He was picking and choosing his shots wisely, and he was hitting behind Stevenson's guard, which was really clever. I gave round seven to Jack as well. In round eight, this is where we saw a lot of the ref interfering a lot. Um, I felt like the ref was breaking, you know, breaking them up for no reason. Stevenson kept holding a lot. And then uh, we did see um, the bloody nose start from Stevenson and, you know, him bleeding at the mouth. Um, Jack, at that point, was landing at will. He was landing really sharp right hands, and he was tearing up the body. I gave, I gave Jack that round as well. And then uh, round nine, you just saw a lot of Stevenson just trying to survive at this point. He was really fatigued, and you just saw a steady decline in him at this point. He was just trying to survive. He wasn't really fighting. Um, Jack came out, you know, confident and strong. Um, he was upping the pressure on Stevenson. Stevenson's corner started complaining that Stevenson should complain to the referee about something. I wasn't really sure why. I think they realized that, you know, their fighter was fading and they were just trying to get the ref to interrupt any of, um, especially the, the body, the body onslaught that, uh, that Jack was putting on him. I gave round nine to Jack as well. Um, in round 10, again, Stevenson was just, hanging on just playing the survival game at this point but then you know stevenson caught jack with body shot and that body shot had jack hunched over he was in visibly in pain and he was trying to stay up and you just saw a second wind enter stevenson because of this 
He saw Jack was hurt, that Jack was in trouble. He tried his best to finish him off, but, you know, he couldn't finish Jack off at all. And, you know, um, Jack was really extremely hurt. Oh, and also the ref warned Jack for low blows. Also, you know, a couple low blows that, uh, that you know, that he claimed were low blows that landed on Stevenson. Jack was also visibly hurt, so he hugged on to Stevenson. And then we saw the ref, you know, screaming at him to not hold. That round could have gone to either one because the the really effective shot was that body shot that Stevenson landed on him. And it made him basically incapable of, you know, getting any offense going. He was just kind of hunched over, like holding onto his body, making sure that, you know, Stevenson wouldn't attack the same area twice. Um, round 11, you know, um, again, we saw Stevenson still on that second wind. You know, he came out strong. You saw Jack leaning forward. He was trying to, you know, rip the body. And I, I felt like at the, at the second half of the 11th round, uh, Jack kind of stole the round from Stevenson because it was Stevenson's in the beginning. Um, but then we saw Jack, you know, it, it seemed like he kind of recovered from that body shot that he had received. And um, he was just, you know, basically, you know, he took over the second half. So in my opinion, he stole that round, which was the 11th round. 12th round was pretty much... Again, Stevenson holding, lots of holding from Stevenson. He was really obviously fatigued and tired. Jack was initiating a lot of the um, the action at that point. Uh, I, I felt like Jack had round 12. Um, also, and not to mention the ref, you know, he got a nice little hit from Jack as well. And he, he took it like a champ, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, that was that was another interesting thing because Jack has a, you know, a habit of, you know, hitting a couple refs. <laughs> so, you know, it, I mean, that, that at the end, I thought that... Um, Basically, Jack won that round as well. However, um, it ended up a majority draw. Uh, 115, 113 on one of the judges for Badu Jack. And then the other two judges had it uh, basically even 114, 114. So it ended up being a majority draw. Yeah, another draw for Badu Jack. Um, excellent breakdown there, by the way, Mimi. I just want to go over a couple of things that I saw. Um, I didn't actually really score the fight, but one thing that I will bring up it was very interesting, I felt, at the weigh-in. I was very shocked to see how tall Jack looked standing next to Stevenson, considering, you know, he's only just moved up to that weight. He seemed to be like the bigger guy. He seemed to be much bigger. But on the actual fight night, when you saw them both there just wearing shorts, you could see that, um, you know, Jack was a slightly taller man, but Adonis has got that, you know, that really much broader torso. He looks the much stronger. He looked the more the more defined in there. He actually looked in great shape, Adonis, especially when you take into a you know into account his age. He certainly seemed the you know the solid of the two. Um, like I say, I wasn't really scoring it. I felt that the first round was very very cagey. Neither man really committing at all. Not much landed there. The second round, I felt that Adonis was you know that was when he was really starting to let his trademark one two go a lot. He seemed to be getting closer and closer with it every time he threw it. Jack wasn't really staying in front of Stevenson. He was moving well. Both men respected each other. I felt that Badu was showing a little bit too much respect at times to Adonis Stevenson. Like I say, once again, I wasn't really scoring it, but the first sort of four or five rounds I felt were all quite close. I wasn't really... Um, seeing either man sort of win around clearly at that point. I felt that Badu Jack would, would stay in the pocket and he was becoming happy to trade with Stevenson, which I found quite ballsy. That was kind of happening about, you know, midpoint of the fight, so to speak. Um, Jack showed us a great, great chin, which is something that he's been knocked for before. Um, I felt that the sixth round was a big, big, big Stevenson round at that point. 
Um, both men let their hands go in that round, but I felt that Stevenson got the better of that. In round seven, Jack came out and had an excellent round. He really did. Um, Stevenson, I felt at times, was happy to kind of take one to land one, but obviously you don't want to be playing that game with a man like Stevenson. Badu wouldn't necessarily take the bait all the time when he was trying to do that. I think that Badu is an extremely smart fighter, you know, an extremely smart fighter. Um, I felt that in round seven and eight, Stevenson looked in trouble. I think that he looked hurt and wobbly for moments of that. I felt that Badu was, of course, you know, the much younger, fresher man. And, and since Stevenson had a great round six, Badu did really well to come out in round seven and eight and up the pace. And he dominated pretty much for probably the next three rounds or so from round seven, eight and nine. I think that in round 10, Jack was further wearing down Stevenson really but then like you say Mimi Stevenson landed that peach of a body shot which visibly hurt Badu and Badu didn't really disguise it very well he seemed like he was clearly in trouble Adonis then finished the 10th brilliantly um, repeatedly going to the body of Jack and I just don't understand how he was taking all those shots he seemed very very hurt and he needed the bell and in round 11 like I say coming down to the last couple of words on this now Stevenson was desperately going for it he was piling on the pressure Badu just couldn't seem to defend those body shots and then out of nowhere Badu Jack landed a right hand that seemed to stop Adonis's attack and it just ended up being a brilliant round that 11th round in the 11th round there was a lot of momentum switches I can't really say who I felt won it I think it was quite close but in the 12th round yeah Stevenson I think he probably won the first minute of the round um, but I don't think he really well he, Well, we all know he didn't He didn't finish well Badu certainly finished very very well in that final round and like you say Ian John Lewis the UK's referee took a heavy looking left hook off of Badu Jack and for those that may not know Ian John Lewis is a former professional boxer himself and and um, he got stopped six times out of his seven losses. But I tell you what, that 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 shot didn't rock him at all. So credit credit to Mr. Ian John Lewis. Took a punch from a world level fighter and did not budge. <laughs> right though, leaving Canada alone. Um, just finally, like I say, Adonis Stevenson, 29 and one with one draw. Badu Jack now 22 and one with three draws. He just seems to love a draw, Badu Jack. Moving over now, though, to Mexico at the Poly Forum in Playa del Carmen. We've got one fight to mention over here. Former world title challenger. I think he may even be a two-time world title challenger. Diego Magdaleno. A lot of people haven't really seen him since he lost in that um, in that unbelievable performance, actually, by Terry Flanagan. Anyway, Diego Magdaleno picked up win number 30. He's got two losses as well. It was a TKO in round five against a guy called Emmanuel Herrera, who had a very um, poor-looking record. Four wins and three losses. What a mismatch that was. That's it for Mexico. Moving over now, though, to Spain at the Comunidad Valenciana. There was one fight to mention over here. Mark Vidal, 11-1 with four draws, fought former world champion Kiko Martinez, 38-8 with one draw for the EBU European featherweight title. It ended up being, though, a technical draw after three rounds. I'm not sure what happened. I'm guessing it was probably a cut. They had to stop the fight and it went down as a technical draw. So if I'm not mistaken, I think that that EBU European featherweight title, I think that that is now still vacant. I don't think Mark Vidal was the champion before the fight. I should check. 
but um, I think I think it was vacant, so I think it will remain vacant now. So very unlucky there for Kiko Martinez. I thought he would have had that one in the bag. Moving over now, though, to Turkey. Um, a man that fought over here, Firat Arslan, former world title challenger. I think he may have even held a belt for a while. I think so. Maybe maybe not. I know he fought Marco Huck a couple of times. He is actually 47 going on 48 years of age. He knocked out, though, in the very first round, a guy called Isaac Pakwesi Ankara, the man from Ghana. Nobody had actually heard of this guy before. 14-7 and seven going in, now 14-8. and eight. A KO in the very first round for the man that is... Um, you know, really getting on now. He's he's going to be 48 in a few months' time. His record now 42 and 8 with two draws. Fear at Arslan. That's it from Turkey, though. Moving over now to Elland Road. This one, of course, in Leeds, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. A couple of fights on the undercard to run through quickly. Um, what do we have? Jack Bateson moved to 6 and 0. It was a points win over Jose Hernandez. Um, Mark Heffron moved to 19-0. and 0. It was a TKO in round four against Adam Grabich. Um, O'Hara Davies made his debut with Frank Warren. He moved to 17-1. and 1. It was a points win over six rounds against Ahmed Ibrahim. He was 6-1 and one with one draw. A last-minute kind of opponent change slash replacement. Um, also, Leon Woodstock moved to 11-0. and 0. It was a points win over eight rounds against Edwin Tellez. Um, Darren Tetley, 15-0, took on Mason Cartwright, 13-0 with one draw. This one was for the vacant WBO European welterweight title. Now, Cartwright was down in the eighth round, and he was also cut on the lip. It was a real, real nasty, nasty cut on the lip. And in the end, the referee, or not the referee, the doctor actually had a look and decided to call the fight off, and rightly so. I don't know if you've seen what he looks like the following day. It's a real, real grim image, actually. His whole face is completely cut up i'd just like to 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 just you know drop a couple of notes on this fight really here i felt very gutted for mason cartwright because like i say i felt he was winning the fight and then he got controversially knocked down and he lost a 10-8 round of course but i felt on 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 you know on on the replay i could see that i felt the knockdown was fair even though he, he he seemed to say it was a slip but anyway when he got his lip split nastily and the doctor asked the referee to stop the fight it was devastating for him because like i say he was probably winning the fight at that point and that one punch that cut his lip grossly cut his lip by the way it looked like someone had gone at his lips with a pair of scissors it was real horrible to see um, but that one punch that, that split his lip completely ended the fight pretty much and it just goes to show how one punch can just completely end a fight and unfortunately it's a very unlucky way to lose your O there so um all the very best to Mason Cartwright. I hope he recovers pretty quickly. His record now 13-1 and one with one draw. Darren Tetley had to come through some moments himself as well, so credit to him now 16-0, and 0, the new WBO European welterweight champion. Um, also, 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 Willie Hutchinson made his debut with Frank Warren here. It was, of course, I think it's his fourth fight now. Yes, he's moved to 4-0. and oh. It was a points win over four rounds against the very tough journeyman Adam Jones. Of course, Willie Hutchinson was on our show last week. Um, I was very pleased for him because he was actually a float and we weren't too sure if we were going to get to see his fight on TV. But because Nicola Adams and Jack Catterall's fights both ended in the first round by 
by knockout. They ended up having time to show Willie Hutchinson live on his Frank Warren debut. Um, he completely dominated Adam Jones, to be honest. He was switch hitting, he was moving, he was showing off his punch variety. He actually made um, a seriously tough journeyman look very average, and he was able to win with extreme comfort, which is very rare. You don't see that often when Adam Jones is in the other corner against any kind of prospect, or to be honest, any fighter at any level. So a very comfortable win there for Willie Hutchinson. He looked very good doing it. Um, also, um, you know, credit once again to Adam Jones, who has now racked up loss number 33, and he has not been stopped yet. So credit to that tough guy who's also a window cleaner by trade, would you believe it? Moving up the bill once again, Jack Catterall, 20-0, took on Christopher Sebaya, 26-10, with one draw. This one was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. Now, Christopher Sebaya was supposed to be the guy that was taking on O'Hara Davies, but because of Jack Catterall's opponent pulling out, they needed a guy who was worthy of him defending his belt against, so they actually had to steal O'Hara Davies' opponent. Now, Sebaya came in two pounds over the weight limit, um, but yeah, very bizarre ending this one. Jack Catterall knocked the guy down, and this was in the first round. And as soon as the guy got up, after about three or four, maybe five, six seconds, he seemed to claim some kind of shoulder injury that we couldn't really see. Um, you know, there's been no update on that. It looked like he kind of wanted a way out of that fight. It looked like he was quitting, really. So, not the greatest win there, really. You know, not taking nothing away from Jack Catterall. He was very, very angry, actually. He was more frustrated than anyone. So, yeah, we didn't really get to see too much of him. Um... His record now 21-0, and 0, a TKO in the very first round there. Nicola Adams, though, this one was controversial as well. She moved to 4-0. and 0. It was a TKO in the very first round against Soledad Del Val Frias. I could be saying that horribly wrong. I should have probably got you to pronounce that one, Mimi. But yeah, this fight was a real, real crazy outcome. And what actually happened here was Nicola Adams knocked her opponent out in 2 minutes 46 seconds of a scheduled 2-minute round. So there was a bad, bad, bad mishap there on behalf of the timekeeper. I don't know what he was doing, but 2 minutes 46 is what it took for Nicola Adams to get rid of her, her opponent. Now, the mad thing is, of course, if the timekeeper was actually doing his job properly, the round would have ended at two minutes. So this girl would have had a one-minute rest period before starting the second round. The moment that she actually got knocked out in, she should have been sitting on her stool. So that is just crazy, but <laughs> it's just one of those things. Nicola Adams now 4-0. and Of course, it wasn't nothing to do with her. She is marching on. She's a phenomenal fighter. I actually think I saw something online about she's only looking to fight professionally for two years from this point, which I find quite crazy, seeing as she's only had four fights. But I think she's about 33, something like that. Again, I'm not checking that. That is off the top of the brain. I will have to fact-check that afterwards and possibly edit that out of the show if I'm wrong. But the main event here, <laughs> Lee Selby, 26-1, and defended his... Well, or tried to defend, I should say, is IBF World Featherweight title. In the other corner, Josh Warrington, 26-0. and 0. It ended up being a split decision over 12 rounds in favour of Josh Warrington and the new for him. Selby was cut over or above his left eye in the second round. It was a head clash, though, and he was also cut above the right eye in the sixth round. Now, this fight here... 
Um, I'm going to try to whiz through my, my notes for this one. But I felt the first round was quite close. Warrington was certainly putting the pressure on Selby. I felt that he needed to do that pretty much. Um, the speed was clearly with Warrington. I was, I mean, I was kind of surprised how much the difference in speed really was. Um, Warrington was, was by far the quicker fighter. Selby couldn't really get into his groove. The second round, Selby, of course, was cut by the head clash. Um, he lost that round as well. Warrington was really going for it at that point. It was a very, very fast-paced fight. Um, Selby was being made to fight, and it was very uncomfortable for him at that point. The third round, Selby got back to his boxing. He won the third round for me, and Warrington wasn't really able to get on his chest at that point. Selby was able to keep the distance. He was flicking out the jabs. He was he was throwing in the hooks. And then the fourth round, I felt, was a very, very close round that I think most people gave to Selby, but I actually gave to Warrington. Then the fifth round was another close round, but this time most people gave it to Warrington, and I gave it to Selby, so after five, I had it 3-2 in favour of Warrington. Warrington, I, I felt, definitely got the sixth, which made it 4-2, and then in the sixth as well, the referee paused the fight momentarily to allow the doctor to inspect Lee Selby's cut. It was really weird, because the referee actually had to explain what would happen should the female doctor stop the fight, which I've never seen before. Chris Sanagar, of course, the trainer, and I think he's got one or two more roles in that Selby camp, he was illegally wiping the blood away from Lee Selby's face and arguing really, really badly with the referee, despite being told to step down from the corner. He wasn't having it, Chris Sanagar. Shout out to him. He's got he's got his man's back for sure. Um, in round seven, Selby had a fairly good round once again. I probably edged it to him, I think... Um, that would, that would be 4-3 after seven rounds. I gave the eighth round to Selby, so that made it 4-4. Unbelievable heart Selby showed us to keep going. I mean, the blood, they didn't do a great job with the blood in the corner, it has to be said. Um, I felt that the ninth round was a very close round. Selby started off quite well in that round, but Warrington took over late on. It was a hard round to score. I'd probably edge it to the champion at that point. The 10th round I gave to Warrington, but again, it was a very close round, so that made it 5-5, all square going into the last two. Warrington certainly got the 11th for sure. Warrington was just too fit and too strong, and in the 12th, I felt that Warrington won that round also, so at the end of it, I had it 7-5 on my card, which of course is 115-113, which I believe one of the judges, I think, had that same score, one or two of them anyway. I mean, I always felt that that fight there, Warrington would be the guy that had the stamina late on, so I felt that Warrington would probably have quite a lot in the tank and be able to win some of those later rounds but when he started fast he really I think took um, you know took Selby by surprise really and it was just a hard fight from the moment really probably from the second round as soon as that cut opened it was just such an uphill battle for Lee Selby so I'm gutted for Lee of course I'm a huge fan of his he's been on this show many times and it's a very sad way for him to you know for him to lose his belt there against a man that was very distasteful in the build-up and to be honest didn't even really send any apologies out afterwards for some of his fans disgusting behavior really in the build-up let's let's make no bones about it um but yeah, before we move on from this one, Mimi, I know that you watched this one. I know that you also watched the eyes. I'm going to come to you first, eyes. What did you make of Warrington's win over Lee Selby? I think it's a very, very good win. Obviously, last week in the show, I said that um, I personally think Selby was going to win the fight. I, I, I admit it myself. Yeah, I go, yes, Selby's going to win the fight. I think Selby will outbox him. But well done to Josh Warrington. This is a huge win for him in the career. 
Um, I remember I saw something on Lee Selby's uh, Twitter. He said that I think he's been fighting at featherweight so it's for too much. So I think he's going to move up to super featherweight. You think the weight's not not for him at the moment? He's going to move up. Now, obviously, Josh Warrington, he's won the he's he's won the he's won that he's won the world title belt of Lee Selby. He's going to be in some big fights, but I've got to say, what a performance in front of his hometown, in his favourite stadium, Ella Run, and with, in front of the Kaiser Chiefs. So well done to Josh Warrington for winning the belt. Absolutely. And Mimi, if you want to say a couple of words on this one before we move on. Basically, I want to reiterate what you said. You know, uh, Selby was the favourite going in. Um, Warrington really came out and he came to, you know, he came to win. He came to get that belt. And, you know, uh, it seemed to me like clearly he outboxed Selby. And, and Selby just didn't have a response for really much of what he was doing. Selby was all banged up. You know, granted, those cuts were from headbutts, but it was just a terrible, terrible situation. And like you said, you know, the corner did not do a good job of stopping the blood, which could also, you know, impair their vision and make it harder for them to fight. There were just so many things like going against Selby that night. I'm not saying, you know, you know, on another night, you know, Warrington wouldn't have won. Um, clearly, he was a better boxer. You know, but, you know, the better man won that night. And congratulations to Warrington. Yeah, very well said. I echo those sentiments. As a boxer, I actually like the guy. And I wish him well for the future. I mean, he can now be in some real mega fights. And, you know, with Frank Warren, it seems like it's working. It seems like he's happier than he's ever been, actually. So credit to the pair of those guys. Um, I did ask on Twitter what Lee Selby should do from here. Because the way I actually see it now, and we've got to be honest... Um, of course, you know, he's a Welsh boxer, which unfortunately has always been kind of a hard sell with the British public. It seems like, um, I don't know what it is, but the Welsh boxers have always kind of struggled, really. I mean, aside from Calzaghi, but there's guys like Enzo Macronelli, who I don't think got the credit. There's guys like Barry Jones, who I don't think got the credit. And Lee Selby, I mean, even Nathan Cleverley, I don't really think had the credit when he was reigning. But Lee Selby, he just didn't really have that fan base. So he, he doesn't really have a huge fan base. He never really had that. And um, what I really wanted to know is, where does Selby go from here? Because, of course... He hasn't got any major promoter. He hasn't got a TV network behind him. He's now got no belt, and he's very, very tight at this featherweight limit, like you mentioned, Ayaz. I think he's since decided that he's going to move up to super feather. So my question was, what does he do next? Um, some people said he's still with Al Heyman. Well, I said that he may be with Al Heyman this weekend, but will he be with him tomorrow? Meaning that now he's lost the belt, will Al Heyman just bin him off? And someone said to me, well, and I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody said to me, well, what, so you mean that he would just get rid of him because he hasn't got a belt? And I'm saying, but he wasn't interested in Lee Selby until he won the belt. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he won the belt, all of a sudden, Al Heyman was interested. Now he's lost the belt. Al Heyman may not have any more time for Lee Selby. He's got a huge stable of fighters himself. But some of the people that did reply, um, this one was from Nathan Muse. He says that Lee Selby doesn't really have the punching power to move up. Um, I'm hoping this was a one-off for Lee Selby and hopefully he comes again. Now, I think that that's quite a fair thing to say. Um, Lee Selby... I mean, I probably think he probably should go up, to be honest. I think he thinks that as well now. But at the time, I liked that answer. Um, Jake Erdley on Twitter says that he should re-sign with Eddie Hearn and make his career in America, in my opinion. Now, I'm not quite sure if those two things work hand in hand. But then again, Eddie Hearn, of course, with this big announcement about the zone thing, perhaps Lee Selby could be, you know, part of that. Maybe so. So that's a good, a good shout there. 
Um, one guy called, this is at Doug L 16. Very harsh, this one. He should retire. <laughs> I felt that was quite harsh. And also from at Cho 88 he says he's got to move up to super featherweight. I never understood why Stephen Smith fought at a higher weight than him. Very, very, very true. Um, like you say, as it looks like he is moving up to super feather. So, of course, we wish Lee Selby all the very best with that endeavor. Um, moving over now, though, from Leeds all the way over to the MGM National Harbor in Oxon Hill, Maryland, USA. Um, on the undercard, though, Gary Antoine Russell picked up a knockout in round one against Wilma Rodriguez, so he now moves to 6-0 and Gary Antoine Russell, of course, the younger brother of Gary Russell Jr., and the other younger brother of Gary Russell Jr., Antonio Russell. He moved to 11-0. and It was a TKO for him in round five of a scheduled six against his man, Jonathan Ramos, 17-21 and 21 now with four draws. Gary Russell Jr. was on our show last week, and he told me that he'd be very disappointed if he didn't get the knockout against Joseph Diaz. Of course, the record's going in 28-1, Gary Russell Jr. and 26-0, Joseph Jojo Diaz. It was for the WBC World Featherweight title, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of the champion. He remained the, the WBC World Champion, and of course, Joseph Diaz served up his first loss as a professional. Walk us through this fight, Mimi. I know that you watch this one, and uh, it wasn't shown over here, so unlucky for us. We didn't get to see it, but I'm hearing it was a fantastic fight. Talk about it for us, please. The fight was great. Um, Russell, we saw a lot of aggressiveness from Russell. Um, Russell came out, you know, very aggressive. You know, he established his jab. His jab was his go-to punch in this fight, and within good reason. He was keeping um, Diaz on the defense, and he was not letting him, you know, get aggressive towards him at all. Um, basically, in my opinion, I feel like Russell, obviously, he did win the fight, but I feel also that he won the fight because you know how sometimes we don't necessarily agree with what the judges, you know, throw out there. Um, so basically, Russell was just very aggressive. He kept Diaz on the back foot. Um, <clears throat> it was just him landing jabs, combos. He was just landing practically at will on Diaz. Um, and then we saw Diaz, you know, he landed a couple, you know, nice body shots and, you know, some nice right hooks. And, you know, he landed some combos as well. But it just seemed like Diaz never got out of, like, you know, third gear to say. He only went to third gear, you know, and he just was not, with all of the offense that Russell had going, he could just not, just not get in there. He could, he had a hard time picking and choosing, you know, when to, you know, get on the offense himself. And every single round, pretty much, in the beginning, Russell dominated the rounds. Like, he dominated in, in an incredible fashion. So... Basically, there was a lot of just, you know, just a lot of jabbing combos from Russell, Russell landing at will. Russell was, um, we also noticed that Diaz was not cutting off the ring, and he just needed to be busier, and he just never took off during this fight. Um, at the most, I gave Diaz about three rounds with this fight. Um, there was um, some swelling eventually coming from Diaz because, you know, he was getting hit quite a bit. Um you know, and then we saw Russell, you know, kind of, you know, slow down a little bit. But it was already towards the end of the fight. Um, and like I said, Diaz tried to pick up and he just could he could never really truly take off. Um, there was just a lot of 
you know, Diaz was just, it just seemed to me like Diaz could not understand, just didn't really have an answer for what Russell was, was throwing at him. And Russell just was basically outboxing, you know, outboxing him. He was dancing circles around him and, you know, um, but Diaz credit to him because he did not quit and he did not get frustrated. He remained calm, even though, you know, he obviously, you know, got, got the worst end of any exchanges that they, you know, that they had throughout the fight. Um, Diaz was trying to attack the body because I'm pretty sure that he, you know, saw, you know, Russell's fight with Lomachenko. And that's basically, you know, where, where, you know, how he beat, you know, Gary Russell Jr. was through a lot of the body shots. And he knows that Gary Russell gets uncomfortable with body shots. Um, he tried to, you know, get that going. But, you know, Russell just had a lot going on. You know, Russell was just coming at him constantly. Let's just talk about the conditioning of Russell. Like, Russell has amazing conditioning. And because these are smaller guys, they can... You know, they can throw punches and bunches and still not get tired like that. And, um, you know, he's just he just was really impressive, you know, for him to fight just once a year. You know, we get our annual, you know, Gary Russell fight. He just shows no sign of ring rust. You know, Russell, Russell doesn't have ring rust. What's ring rust? He, he has no idea what it is. You know, he's just amazing from the beginning to end. You basically just see Russell had his way with Jojo Diaz. And I was rooting for Jojo Diaz because, you know, I feel like, you know, it would be nice to have, you know, because I know Jojo Diaz would be more active with, the, you know, with his belt. Um, but unfortunately, that just wasn't Diaz's night. And I do feel like this could be a great learning experience for Diaz as well. Congratulations to Gary Russell Jr. on a very smart, you know, very tactical fight. Very well said once again, Mimi there. Like I say, we didn't get to see that one. So thank you for bringing us up to speed professionally. Um, talking about the predictions, Ayaz, from last week. I went with a Stevenson knockout. Of course, that didn't happen. No one went with a draw, by the way. You went with um, Jack to win on points. So did the listeners. So nobody gained the point there. We all went with Selby on points, despite some of the listeners voting for, or certainly wanting, Josh Warrington to win. But everyone went for Selby on points. So no one got a point there. And then all three of us, myself, you, and the listeners' eyes, all going with Gary Russell Jr. on points. So we've all gained one point there, which hasn't really made much of a difference in terms of, of course, the, um, you know, how far ahead each person is. But yeah, we all gain plus one there. Um, Coming down to the last fight to mention of the reviewing, we have um, over in Japan, I believe this one happened last Sunday, Heki Budler, that's the former minimum weight world champion, he moved up in weight to take on the the world light flyweight champion, Ryochi Taguchi, who was actually the IBF and WBA super world light flyweight champion, so two belts on the line. Heki Budler, I believe, was also the underdog, well anyway... He put on a fantastic boxing display. He moved to 32-3. He took the champion's belts here. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. So Ryuchi Taguchi, now 27-3 with two draws, dethroned of two of his world titles. And also on the undercard, Hiroto Kayoguchi. He fought for the IBF world minimum weight title. I think it may have been his belt, actually. Anyway, he was able to dominate over 12 rounds, a unanimous decision to him 
Um, he took on, by the way, the previously undefeated Vince Perez, who was 13-0, and now 13-1. and So Hiroto Kayaguchi could be a name for the future. Of course, he's down at minimum weight, but he's now 10-0, and double figures, undefeated world champion. All the very best to everybody that we've mentioned there, from Japan to Australia, from the UK to Turkey to Spain to the United States, and of course to Mexico. But yeah, just before we wrap up the, the reviewing, um, I just want to mention that we will be doing a competition later on in the show. We will announce the winner. But just for you guys, Ayaz and Mimi, get your thinking caps on. We're looking for the best knockout of 2018 thus far. So have a little think about that. And we will come on once again about that later on in the show, just before we end. But as we end part one, there is one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cork's very own middleweight contender, Mr. Spike O'Sullivan. Spike, welcome back on the show, my man. It's been a little while. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, pleasure to be back, man. It's my pleasure every time. So, Spike, we actually haven't spoke since September 2017. Obviously, in that time, you've had three fights. Uh, since we last spoke. All three have been knockout wins. The first one against Nick Quigley, the second one against a fellow big puncher in Antoine Douglas, which was, some people, you know, kind of saw that as a bit of a 50-50 fight beforehand. And, of course, the most recent win to Berlin Abru, in which he decided to quit on his store after three rounds just a couple of weeks back now. Please, if you can, Spike, just give me a sentence or two on each fight, but especially the most recent one, because that's the only one I haven't seen yet. Well, yeah, the first one was with uh, Nick Quigley. He was a he's a good tough fighter, you know. Um, that was a war. That was a good fight. Yeah, he, he had a good record. I spoke to Matt, the fight, very nice guy. Uh, told me he trained uh, the hardest of his career for that fight, and uh, you know he came he came to cause an upset, but uh, and he dug deep, and you know, but it wasn't to be from on the night, and uh, ended up the rep stopped him, and I think in the fourth round, and Anton Douglas, yeah, I went into that one actually as the underdog and the puppies and uh, bookmakers had him. Uh, Significant favourite, but uh, I think you know Golden Boy thought that he probably he might beat me too, and uh, I was trying to deal with a fighter on that one, but uh, I won anyway, <clears throat> and um, progressed on to fight in LA there two two weeks ago, I think almost two two and a half weeks ago against uh, Berlin and Brew, uh, and he you know he succumbed to a bit of punishment in the first three rounds and didn't get off the field for it. Like I say, Spike, I haven't actually seen anything of that Berliner Brew fight. Um, was it just a one-way kind of beatdown? What was it like? Well, he, uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely won every round. He, he uh, threw a few back, he threw a flurry back in the second round, but um, I bet that he did carry a bit of power. In, in his 14 wins, uh, he had 11 inside the distance. But it was his first time moving up to middleweight, you know, um, I think it's a bit of a tough task, a uh, big ask for him moving up to middleweight. Uh, his first fight in middleweight fighting me, uh, you know, hard hit middleweight. I don't think it was a great move for him, but uh, I think it was a, it was a good payday for him. So uh, I think that's why he took the risk and uh, didn't pay off for him, fortunately for me. And his only loss was to Sammy Vasquez, who was a guy that was um, had quite a buzz around him, really, for quite a while. And he got him out of there in four. So for you to do it practically in three is quite a statement, regardless of the fact he was moving up in weight. Now, of course, you fought on May the 4th, but you were also very much in the picture to be Golovkin's opponent for May the 5th. Now, it seemed to me like Golovkin's team were kind of juggling two or three names around and... 
with your already scheduled fight the day before, you didn't really have the time to be messing around. You needed a definitive answer to which Golovkin's team at that time couldn't really give you. I could be completely wrong, but that's what it looked like to me. But tell us, Spike, what actually happened? Yeah, that's uh, pretty accurate, Joey. You know, um, they, they were jumping around a few names at the time. And, you know, they verbally kind of suggested that they might give me the fight. But <clears throat> I never had the contract at, at that point. And uh, Golden Boy, I already had an agreement with Golden Boy to fight on the fourth. And, you know, I told him that I did want to fight on the fifth. And I wanted to fight Golovkin. But, uh, you know, it uh, came to just just, uh, just over three weeks before the fight. And the, the offer still wasn't made officially from Golovkin's team. So, uh Golden Boy said, look, listen, you've got to commit to this uh, ESPN on 4th of May or else you might lose your spot. And uh, they gave me a really good deal financially and uh, a three-point deal to make sure that I was going to you know, participate on the 4th of May. And, uh, you know, I had to commit to it and I did. And um, I'm glad I did because, um, you know, I'll be looking to fight on the undercard of Golovkin and Canelo uh, in September. That's, you know, that that's what's going to happen, I believe. And, uh I get to fight the winner of Golovkin Canelo anyway, so uh, from a business perspective, it was a no-brainer to me and my team. It's good to have that cleared up because there was a lot of rumours going around about money and all these reasons, all these other reasons why you didn't fancy that fight, but to hear it from the horse's mouth, of course, is the best thing. Um... You always kind of manage to have a feud with someone, Spike. I know that you've had previous, um, you know, beef, if you like, with Anthony Agogo, with Chris Eubank Jr., that this time, not with a boxer, but it seems like you've kind of locked horns a little bit with Dan Raphael. He had a lot to say about his, I don't know, his his rumours that he'd heard about why you didn't fancy that fight. What's going on there, and why is he someone that it seems everyone is kind of sick of at times? <laughs> Well, yeah, I think... Um, I mean, you really you know, did yeah. give it to him, to be honest, Spike. <laughs> yeah, I think he deserved it, you know. Uh, I think he's very disrespectful to, uh, you know, athletes and you know, the boxers, like, you know, uh, guys that are putting, basically putting their life on the line. And, I mean, like, you just got to take one look at him and he's, you know, uh, what else could I say? But, you know, he, he doesn't... I don't know. He, he's a guy he shouldn't be really talking about, guys that are in the ring putting their life on the line, you know, I don't think... Particularly, well, you know, he, he definitely shouldn't be criticising them and they call him kind of, you know, a coward. You know, uh, he's calling me a coward. I meant him, but a coward, you know, and I proved that. And I think I proved it already anyway, but, uh, you know, I'll certainly prove in the future uh, when I do fight the winner of Golovkin and Canelo. And, uh, you know, I'm very much fair from a coward. I, 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 you know, I didn't like that comment, um, you know, so it uh, pissed me right off. And uh, so I said I'd fucking, you know, take him to task on it, you know, and, I think he actually didn't give me the best report anyway again after this fight against Abru, you know, so um, I spoke to him at the fight and, you know, I kind of, you know, tried to be the bigger man and call a bit of a piece on it, you know, but uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't too, you know, happy about his report on the fight, so I think I might just leave him to fuck off now in the future. I might speak to him anymore. Fair enough, fair enough. Now... Um, you kind of answered this question here, but I, I was going to say, I saw an article a couple of months back saying that due to the deal that you'd signed with Golden Boy, you'd be fighting Canelo in September originally. And that was, from my understanding, regardless of his outcome on May 5th against Golovkin. Now, obviously, uh, that was before Canelo failed the drugs test. It was before the fight fell through on May the 5th. But 
Where does where does that leave you, Spike? You're now saying that it looks like those guys are going to perhaps fight in September, and you're now going to have to wait for them to fight to perhaps get the winner in. I'm guessing 2019. Is that accurate? Yeah, possibly. Um, I think they'll only fight around twice a year. Now, as far as I know, I think he fights on both the Mexican holidays, both in May and September. But Golovkin uh, wins maybe him in December. You know, providing he's not too smashed up from. Canelo. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on all that really but uh, I think they're going to you know, strike a deal anyway between the two of them and they're going to get that fight on and um, I'll be looking to fight the winner and provide now win my, my fight on, on their undercard Right I see and that is is that literally a definite thing so you will fight the winner no matter what providing it's not a draw or, some, or something crazy like that again Yeah well uh, that's, that's what I agree to you know um, that's the offer Golden Boy gave me the uh, you know, before the last fight fell through, you know, and uh, committed the fourth of May fight on ESPN, so I done that. You know, so that's why I believe it's going to happen. Yeah. So, providing it all goes well for your fight in September against an opponent that is yet to be announced, um, you you will probably be f- facing either Golovkin in December or perhaps Canelo next May. That's right. Yeah, maybe I'm not hundred percent sure on when the date will be exactly. It could be, you know, but I'm not not hundred percent sure. But I, 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 I um, the main thing anyway is that I get the winner. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, um, I want to ask you this now: if that fight um does perhaps happen, like we all are hoping for it to happen, um, who do you believe will win, and who do you want to win from a selfish point of view? Because obviously, if you face the winner, it's it's a bigger fight, really. If it's Canelo, I'm guessing in terms of you know the money and all that. Yeah, I've got a uh, mixed emotions about this because um, I went to see Golovkin the next night after my own fight and in the stove I went to see him and I watched him and I thought maybe he's slipping a little bit um, possibly. No one saying that, um, I don't know if he, he probably didn't make give his best performance, Have you know, the opponent he had, I don't think he was fully up for the fight and he was being a bit cautious, maybe like myself the night before against the brew, you know, was a... The fight neither of us could kind of afford to uh, lose in those, those fights, you know. So uh, I think, you know, both myself and Galafkin uh, could perform better than we did on, on the Friday and Saturday nights, you know. But um, I've always uh, liked, said I'd like to fight Galafkin. I think stylistically he suits me and uh, I'd love to be the one to take his own, you know. And um, I, I don't think I'm going to get that opportunity. I think Canelo's going to beat him. That's what I think is going to happen. But as you say, financially, it's better for me maybe if Canelo wins. But uh, no, so I've mixed emotions. I've I've, I've always wanted a uh, Golovkin fight and um, to take his own. Right? I think I can beat him. I believe I. I've always said I believe I could beat him. And uh, but the Canelo, I think I'm going to fight Canelo because I think Canelo is going to beat him this time. Okay, well it, it seems all good anyway. I mean if. Uh, if if either one wins, which I'm sure one one winner will be decided come September or whenever it does happen, then you're certainly in the mix. So it's a it's a big fight either way. So it's good news for yourself and of course your fans. Um, we haven't spoke since Andy Lee's retired. Obviously, you and him were certainly the two best middleweights Ireland had at the time. Were you happy or sad when he decided to hang up his glove spike? Didn't make much difference to me really. Uh, I don't think we were ever going to fight anyway. You know. Um... So it didn't really make much of it. I suppose it, I stared the part away from me because uh, me and him were kind of rivals to get Danny Jacobs fight at one point. So we, we were kind of rivals for the big fights in that we were possible if the um, promoters were looking for an Irish uh, contingent, you know, that he was a rival to me. Um, 
getting those fights so maybe it was a good thing for me that he retired and put me in line for the bigger fights where I would arrival to arrive with me for getting the fights you know what I mean yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Now we asked, you know, we asked some of the of our followers and some of your followers on Twitter to send in questions for you. Now we've got a couple that I'm going to read out here. Some were uh, not very sensible, which we cannot read out, unfortunately, but some were quite good. And this one is from at Ricey underscore SUFC. He says, how do you think you've improved as a boxer since the loss to Eubank? And do you think the new improved Spike would be able to beat the Eubank that beat you? Okay, yeah, I definitely more improved. Yeah, I've improved since then. Um, it's been more dedicated to my training and uh, my diet. And I think I'm better all around, really, and in the gym more consistently. And yeah, um, I think, you know, he hasn't improved much since then. He might have went backwards with the feet, the growth, I think, it was bad for him too. And uh, I feel as though if we, if we met now, I'd fight differently and um, I believe I would win, yeah. Absolutely. And this one is from at Varna MWV 707 um, Quite a mouthful, that name there. He says, I would like to hear what achievements... Spike is most proud of in his career and I would like to hear about his early life and what led him into being the fighter he is today wow this is quite a question I would like to hear his advice for overcoming adversity thank you and happy to see Spike on the show so um, kind of three mini questions in one there Spike so um, take it away uh, okay the, I, suppose, I, I can't I can't be confused it's been longer than yeah, he, said, he said what achievement are you most proud of in your career thus far? Not just um, your career, I guess, life in general. Well, I, I think the uh, the Anton Douglas fight was a good one on a massive platform of HBO, and um, you know I was the underdog in that fight, and you know not a lot of people thought I was going to win, but I I I think uh, you know he would have beaten the former Spike before I uh, became more consistent in uh, my training and stuff like that, and you know he he fancied the job, but. Uh, you know, he, he came up against a new and improved spike and, uh, you know, so I thought that was a pretty good achievement, you know, in my career. Well, that is a very honest answer. I like that. Um, and also he says, I would like to hear about his early life and what led him to being the fighter he is today. It's kind of a hard well, question to answer, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, I started boxing at a really young age. My father introduced me to boxing at only five years of age, you know, and started like training kind of properly at five and you know um I gradually you know we got into sparring and you know I trained some top gyms in Ireland and uh, I learned the hard way you know starting out in the gyms young and I was up against the fighters that are a little bit older than me stuff you know so I think uh, that's that is contributed to make me a tough kind of fighter I am today and he'd like to hear your advice for overcoming mm. adversity Spike, you've overcome um, much adversity to be honest in your career thus far, what's your advice, the best way to deal with something like that? You know, um, obviously you get down over fo- if you if you have a loss you get down about it you know, but that time shall pass as well and uh, I, I like that saying this too shall pass, you know and uh, be, if you're down, if you're feeling down after things that will pass by too and, you know, but also if you win, that will pass by too and Another time will come, you know, just not to get too carried away. I get too, too down too low about losses or up too high about wins and just try and stay on the, you know, an even uh, mental position and just, uh, 
know, continue to train and train to best your ability and improve. Well, it's you know. Yeah, very well said. And this one came, Spike, and I'm not quite sure if we can read this one out. Um, it's from at Spike Mum-in-law. This this account's absolutely crazy, Spike. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the tweets that they put out. Yep. <laughs> right. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, go on, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, you and Wayne Rooney share a passion for grabbing grannies. Is it truly like opening a toasted cheese sandwich? I'd refer down to that one. <laughs> I'd be fucking, i get the head salad off me with a mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you at Spike Mum in Law for that one there. We did we did read it out in the end, even though I was a little bit hesitant. Um Right, that's it for the uh for the for the Twitter questions from from all the people there. So thank you to everybody who sent theirs in. Maybe sometime soon we can sit down and do a proper Q and A and let a lot more people send their questions in Spike. So uh yeah, maybe that's one for the future. Um the last yep. question I'll, I'll throw at you, actually. Of course, your your good friend Billy Joe Saunders will be fighting Martin Murray on June 23rd at the O2 Arena. Firstly, will you be there? Secondly, I'm sure you're backing Billy Billy Joe to win and win quite well, to be honest. Well, um, I won't be there. I think I'm on holiday that day with um, my partner and my kids. You know, uh, I'm actually good friends with Martin Murray also. Um, I sparred Martin and, uh, before he fought Golovkin and... Um, Martin's a tough fighter and I think he should have been world champion himself uh, in the past I think he uh, got some dubious decisions you know uh, against Storm you know Storm he definitely definitely won that fight and arguably against Sergio Martin as well possibly you know so um, he's no mug Martin Murray but uh, Billy Joe Saunders on his day is um, you know the man to beat in my opinion in the middleweight division I think he's the, the very best you know on, on his night I think he, he can beat up to anybody and um so I think it's going to be a tough night for Martin to beat Billy Joe. And I think uh, Billy Joe will be, remain the champion. Yeah, I mean, I can't really see Martin Murray really, at this stage of his career, um, pushing Billy Joe too much at the minute. I think Billy Joe, I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, if that saying's true, you're only as good as your last performance, then Billy Joe's win over Lemieux that night when you were on the undercard, that was such a brilliant, brilliant win. The way he just completely negated what David Lemieux did was just quite unbelievable. Um, and that's really it, Spike. I mean, if there's anything else that I haven't asked or, you know, anything that you want to get off your chest at all before we let you go. No, no, that's it. Um, I better uh, get in and uh, start watching Netflix for my missus before I get a few clothes off her as well as the mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Spike, it's always a delight and a pleasure, my friend. You know that. Thank you, as always, for your time, and we shall catch up again very soon. Yeah, thank you, Joey. Pleasure speaking to you, and uh, speak to you again soon. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. As always, we go first to Ayaz with the latest boxing news. Ayaz, take it away. So Tyson Fury's fight has been announced on 9th of June where he'll fight uh, Sefer Safari. Yeah, Sefer Safari. Actually, this guy here... I mean, I'm going to give Tyson Fury a pass because, like I say, he's been out the ring now for... I think it's been two and a half years, something like that, come fight night. 
So we've got to give the guy a pass. I mean, some people are saying, why didn't they just chuck him in with someone like Povetkin? It just doesn't work like that, man. For God's sake, you can't expect him to be in there with a world beater. But I've got no problem. If he even wanted to come back against a complete journeyman, I'd have no problem. But he's taking on a guy here called Sefer Seferi. He's not a well-known name, of course. He's from Albania, but he actually was born in Macedonia, and he lives in Switzerland. So he's a man of three national countries almost he's 39 years of age his nickname is the real deal but of course he certainly know Evander Holyfield um one thing that he does have in common with Evander Holyfield is that he pretty much has been a cruiserweight he's, he's moved up recently the first time he really properly stepped up was in 2016 he took on Manuel Char for the WBA international heavyweight title he lost that fight over 10 rounds on point so he's never been stopped but um, even though he's he's been a cruiserweight for most of the time he's now at heavyweight he comes in light so you'd expect him to have the speed and also um, he's got 21 knockouts in his 23 wins, so his record is 23-1. and one. Listen, I've got no problem with that fight whatsoever. Um, I really, really don't. He's actually had his hand in promoting as well. He's actually managed to promote seven shows himself, so... He's also got a business brain, and I'm sure that's probably why he's taking this fight. But I don't know too much more about him. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say he's the most, you know, the most, I don't know, interesting opponent or one of my top um, you know, opponent selections for Tyson Fury, but I'm certainly giving the big man a pass on his comeback fight. Yep, and finally, Joe Joyce will return on June the 15th at York Hall with an unnamed opponent. Is it definitely at York Hall, yeah? Yep. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I will be there for that one, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like I say, we don't yet know who he's fighting, but it's great that he's staying active, which... He has been doing really well, to be honest. I think he made his pro debut in October, and this will be his fifth fight. So what's that? That's um, yeah. So that'll be um, June. So that's a, that's a six months. So yeah, eight months, and he's had fight. He, he would have had five fights. So yeah, I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, you know they're all at decently high levels. If he's going to be defending his Commonwealth strap, then hopefully it's against an opponent that we've heard of. And I wish him all the best for sure. Is that it for the news, Ayers? Yeah. Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, well, later on tonight, there is a fight to mention. This one, of course, later tonight. Thursday, the 24th of May, 2018. We have a fight happening in Australia, actually. A guy called Jack Brubacker. I think that's how it's said. His record, 13-2 and two with one draw. He takes on our very own Tyrone Nurse, 35-3 and three with two draws. This guy, Brubacker, I don't know anything about him, to be honest, but I'm sure. I mean, I'd be very surprised if he was able to get one up on Tyrone Nurse, a man that has really been battle-tested, um, you know, domestically, for sure. He's a very, very good fighter, Tyrone Nurse. I'm, I'm not sitting here and saying he's a complete world-beater. He isn't, but he's a very tough guy for anybody. So I'm expecting Tyrone Nurse to get the job done there. And, of course, we wish him all the very best. Also on that bill, the son of former world champion Costa Zoo, Tim Tazu, his record now 8-0. He takes on Larry Siwu, who's 27-10. and 10. That one's for the WBC Asian Boxing Council Continental Super Welterweight title. Boy, oh boy. All the very best to Tim Tazu. Moving over now, again, this one happening later tonight also. 
in Haiti at the Portal Prince. We've got Rodrigo Medja, his record 14 and 10 with three draws. He puts his, I think it's his belt, but anyway, the belt on the line, the WBA Fede Latin Super Welterweight title. In the other corner, former opponent of, I think it was Jamal Charlo now, Wilkie Kampfert, friend of the show, 24 and 3, his record. Very, very, very nice guy, Wilkie Kampfert. I wish him all the very best there. Moving over now, though, to Friday, tomorrow. So this fight here, you may not have heard the podcast in time before this fight happens because it will be starting... If you if you are listening, if you if you've seen the fight and now you're listening, then fair enough. But for those that have um, that have listened tonight, Thursday night before this fight, remember to set your alarm or set your uh, not alarm. I suppose you'd probably be awake, but set your you know your skybox up to record on this one because it starts at 1 p.m. UK time. It's not on Sky Sports main event. It's on Sky Sports action, I believe, or arena. I get confused between the two, but this one. Um, happening in Tokyo, Japan. Jamie McDonough, our very own, 29-2 and two with one draw, puts his WBA World Bantamweight title on the line against Naoya Inoue, 15-0. and 0. Inoue, of course, in the pound-for-pound top 10 discussions for sure. An absolute animal he seems to be. That's a 12-rounder there. Um, the main event, though, Ken Shiro, 12-0, puts his WBC World Light Flyweight title on the line against Ganigan Lopez, who's 29-7. and Just before we move on, actually, Ayaz, um, I want to get this out there quickly. We're going to go to the prediction league on this. Jamie McDonnell against Inoue, of course. Jamie McDonnell, the masterful boxer, the much, much, much bigger man. Um, very confident as well. When I spoke to him a few weeks back, we spoke after the interview on the phone for a little bit, and I tell you what, that guy is seriously confident that he's going to do a job on this. Very hyped up, but I suppose untested at some of the, you know, some of the higher weights, especially against someone like Jamie Mack, who can box to a perfect game plan. Um, the predictions, though, the the listeners being very very harsh on our man, the listeners are actually going with Inoue by knockout, forty four percent going with that. Next in line, though. 24% McDonald on points. So, Ayaz, how do you see that one playing out? I'm going to have to be honest with you. Obviously, um, Anua is a very big puncher as well. And they say he could be he's a top, he's one of the pound for pound. If I'm going to go for the winner, I'm going to have to go with uh, Anua by knockout as well. Ooh. Ooh. Um, oh, man. Now, I feel like I'm doing him a disservice, really, because... Um, I want to be ballsy and go with him, but I'm not quite sure because this guy, if he is what they say he is, then I'm expecting him to do a real job on Jamie Mack. But the one thing that we need to remember is Jamie McDonald's never been stopped. He's only lost twice, of course. He's gone unbeaten for about 10 years now. Yeah, in fact, over 10 years now. Um, So, yeah, I think that we... uh, Do you know what? I'm I'm not not going to... I'm going to go with a new points win. I could be completely wrong, but I just don't want to see Jamie Mack get knocked out. I really hope, of course, that he can do it, and I'm sure that you echo that as well, Ayaz, but it's such a tough ask because this guy is supposed to be the absolute mustard, and I haven't seen too much of him. I'm going to hold my hands up there. Um, I just I really hope that Jamie can you know, get well paid, and I'd love to see him take that belt back to Doncaster. All the very best to him and the whole team. Of course, they're all out there. I think even Anthony Fowler's flying out there to get um, to get ringside for that one. All the very best to Dave Caldwell as well. Um, 
What else do we have? Moving over now to Poland at Warsaw. This one is at the Stadion Narodowy. I think I've done that quite well. A couple interesting fights to mention on this one, actually, I has. Um, Marius Wack, 33-3, takes on Eric Molina, 26-5. Of course, we know Molina. He's been over here for Joshua. Um, and he's had a few other big fights, of course. Deontay Wilder. Marius Wack, like I say, in the other corner. Um, like I say, this one in Poland. And also on this bill, a guy that... I've always really struggled to pronounce his name, but his name is something like Izuagbi Ogono, 17-1. and one. That one loss coming to Dominic Brazil in that absolutely fantastic fight Brazil was involved in. I've got a feeling it was on one of um, Deontay Wilder's undercards now. I think it was the fight where Dominic Brazil had the, the post-fight scuffle in the hotel room with Deontay Wilder's team. Well, anyway... Ugano takes on Fred Cassie, a former opponent of Huey Fury. Um, Ogano, I should say, 17-1. and one. Fred Cassie, 18-7. and seven. And also, Arta Spilka, another man that, of course, has been in there with Deontay Wilder. His record, 20-3. and three. He takes on Dominic Gwynn, who has definitely, definitely seen better days. 35-11 and 11 with one draw now. But Dominic Gwynn is a guy that, if you're a little bit half-hearted, if your heart's not completely in it, he will turn up and expose you. So, um... Quite an interesting little bill there, actually, for Poland. A, a real heavyweight showcase, um, you know, card there. And all three heavyweights there, all Polish. So, I, li- I quite like that bill, to be honest. If I, can, if I can get a stream for that, I will be tuning in. Moving over now, though, to Quebec, Canada. What do we have over here? One or two fights to mention. It is just the one. David Lemieux, 38-4. and four. He fights for the WBC Francophone middleweight title and the WBC international middleweight title in the other corner Karim Achor who's 26 and 4 with three draws do you know what we haven't seen David Lemieux of course since he got a complete boxing lesson against our very own Billy Joe Saunders I'm not quite sure how exciting he can be now because he was so bad that night and his excuses afterwards were so poor and I I just don't know if I'm that interested in him anymore unfortunately one thing that is for certain is that he's an absolute power puncher but this guy Achor has never been stopped like I say and he actually hasn't lost since 2013 but I do want to mention he lost once upon a time in 2012 to Martin Murray who was undefeated at the time that was over points of course so all the best to David Lemieux if he gets a knockout then it certainly is impressive um, he's still only 29, Lemieux. I always think he's a bit older. Moving over now, though, to the Dolphin Centre in Darlington, County Durham, United Kingdom. I'm sure they haven't got any Dolphins there, so I'm not quite sure why it's called that. But one man to mention on this bill, Thomas Patrick Ward, 23-0. and Still a young guy, actually. I don't know if he's still got the British title, but he's in a six-round contest. His opponent yet to be announced. Um, also at the Corn Exchange in Ipswich, Suffolk, United Kingdom, we have one fight to mention over here as well. Um, who's on it? Who's on it? Oh yeah, Liam Walsh, 21 and one. We haven't seen him since he got stopped brutally by Javante Davis. He gets out on this bill. His opponent yet to be announced. And coming down to the final bill to mention, it's happening over in the states at the Cellard Arena in Fresno, California, USA. It's going to be on ESPN Plus. Um, what do we have over here? Not really the best undercard, but there are two kind of main event slash co-main event fights here. We've got Cal Yafai, 20 
23-0, defending his WBA World Super Flyweight title against David Carmona, 21-5 with five draws. Uh, we will go to the predictions on that eyes as well, actually. The listeners have gone with a Cal Yafai, was it knockout or points? They've gone Cal Yafai on points. 60% going with that. What's your take on that one? I'm, I'm going to go with Cal Yafai knockout. I think he'll win this fight, in my opinion. But a knockout. I'll make yeah, a statement gonna... in the US. Yeah, I hope he does, actually. I hope he does make a statement. I'm going to go with a knockout there as well for our man Cal Yafai, a man that, of course, has also been on this show. And the main event, Jerwin and Cahas, the man that absolutely really beat the devil out of Jamie Conlon. His record 29-1 and one with one draw. He puts his IBF World Super Flyweight title on the line against Jonas Sultan, who's only 14-3. and three. It doesn't really look like a fantastic record on paper. But when you analyze and look a little bit deeper, he's coming off a win over John Real Casemiro. That's the guy that beat Charlie Edwards. And he was a really good fighter. And I didn't actually see this fight with Sultan and him but Sultan was able to win that fight so Sultan must be pretty good but I've got to hold my hands up I've seen absolutely nothing of him but we know that Jerwin Ancahas is very good and he also is very impressive of course he's now being promoted by Bob Arum um I as um, I'm not going to ask for a prediction on this, but Ancahas, I don't know if you saw that fight with Conlon, he really showed his class, Ancahas, I'm expecting big things of him in the future, of course, a Filipino, very much being motored by Manny Pacquiao. Yes, I saw the fight against Conlon, Jamie Conlon, and the way he beat him, oh my days, he was very, very bad. I think he'll, I think on Saturday he's going to win the fight, and I think he'll be doing very good style. I wouldn't expect anything less from him. Um... Just before we, we wrap up part two and, and bring in our final guest, is there anything that you wanted to say, Mimi, at all? I know that you're not really involved in the Prediction League or anything like that, but is there any, any predictions that you may want to give out that I didn't kind of come come to you for at the time? Um, no, I'm not familiar with those particular um, fighters that you mentioned. No, that's fine. That's fine. Like I say, some of the lower weights, they... Uh, Especially, you know, being from a different continent, most of them, I'm sure, they haven't really been shown in the in the US too often. That's completely fine. But like I say, we have now done the reviewing. We brought you the very first guest. We brought you the latest news. We brought you the previewing. And I almost forgot, but just before we wrap up the show, we've got to do knockout of 2018. So, of course, the year... Of course, it isn't even halfway through yet. We're almost coming to the sixth month of the year. We are still in May. Um, let's talk about some of the biggest knockouts just quickly from 2018. I'm just going to mention the ones that we've had in already. Um, we've had, this one was from Jake Eardley. He says it's got to be Povetkin's knockout against David Price. He hit him for six. Or he's actually gone with two, which wasn't allowed, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him off. He went with... Um, Dillian White's knockout of Lucas Brown, night night. He's put that was a devastating knockout, eyes, wasn't it? Jesus, two great, 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 great choices. Oh yes, definite, uh, definite knockout. But I think the one, um, I got my own personal knockout. But I'm not, I'm not going to say it when I'm ready to say. It, I'll say it. No, go I on. You can, not. you can say it. Go on. Okay, I think my personally, I think the toughest knockout I've seen so far is Danny Garcia against Brandon Rios. Oh, that was a good one, actually. I forgot about that. No one sent that one in. Mimi, any knockouts coming to the top of your head this year so far? Actually, I had just, um, I had actually thought about the same ones that you guys already mentioned. The Dillian White versus Lucas Brown. The Lucas Brown knockout was one of the most uh, devastating knockouts I've seen this year. And that's to say, you know, a lot. It was, it was, it was actually kind of scary. 
Um, the Danny Garcia one was sensational. Like that just came out of nowhere. It was shocking and it just caught him perfect and just put him down. And also sent in from at Luke Grenside. He says Dillian White versus Lucas Brown. That was some vicious knockout. So we've had a few of those. And also from Nathan Muse, another regular listener of the pod. He says Dillian White over Lucas Brown. So a very, very popular one there. Also sent in from at McDonough 16. He sends me in actually a street fight. I don't know if he, he got it a little bit wrong. But he sent in a, st- a street fight that Enzo Macronelli had uploaded. So it wasn't actually a professional boxing match. But, um, but he sent in his own style of knockout. So credit to him. Thank you for entering there. But Ricey underscore SUFC was first. He went with Povetkin's knockout of David Price. And he says that first hit and the fact that he was still standing and dazed before he knocks him to the floor was brutal. And I absolutely agree with that. I remember being there ringside. Well, not ringside, actually, I've got to be honest. But I remember being there at the Principality Stadium and seeing David Price get knocked out like that against Povetkin. It was a fight where we just didn't expect it to go out of the first two rounds. And when it did, we were, you know, really rooting for Pricey. We all were. And then when Pricey, of course, wobbled him, we were like, oh, hang on. He could he could really do something here. And then I think it was the following round night night and it was real bad because like I say he was completely out on his feet he dropped his guard he didn't know where he was and I've even actually had to download that on on demand on my Sky TV I've just got it sitting in my planner I was watching it once again last night because I still cannot believe that I saw that knockout live it was the most brutal knockout I think I've seen not just this year but I'm talking about for a few years it really was brutal so for me I think the t-shirt competition winner was Ricey underscore S-U-F-C. So, Ricey, please send me your address and we shall send out the uh, the, the t-shirt via Ayaz Sumra Mao, as always, and it will be with you within a couple of months. Thank you to all who entered the competition, though. Like I say, we've done the competition. We brought you the review in the preview in the first guest. The second guest is about to come in. So, like I say, before we wrap up part two, let's welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Islington icon, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, I like the, uh, the intro. Is, is it an icon? It's nice. Yeah, that's Go it. into it. I think you should roll with that instead of the gorilla from now on, actually. <laughs> well, I don't know. You have to talk to the people, the powers that be. I can't shift it. <laughs> now, usually I like to ask you where you are, but I know that you've not long been back home since being abroad. Um, I wanted to ask you really, you know, how how was the break for you? I know that, of course, it was a very much well-deserved break. Yeah, Joe, it was nice. I had a, I had a week at home after, just to sort out a few bits. Then we slipped away for a week to Tenerife, and now uh, it's just nice to be back. I've been been ticking over in Tenerife, done a couple of runs, done a couple of like weight sessions. I'll do more of the same this week. Then I'll be back in the gym punching next week, just looking looking to get another date confirmed shortly, hopefully. And I want to go back to your most recent win, like I say, the Jamie Cox win. It was it was really another make-or-break fight, just like the previous one before that against Patrick Nilsson, which you won by knockout. This was also a make-or-break fight. Um, did you did you feel that going in, John? Yeah, I did. I felt it maybe even more so, because I'm coming off a great win against Nilsson. And I just felt like, to be honest, is. This game is so shrewd, whereas people write you off after a loss, and a loss don't just defy you, do you know what I mean? Come back, and I've shown that, and 
yeah, for me, I didn't think there was another rebuilding process in me to come back after a loss. So for me, it would have been curtains on a career if I'd lost to Cox that night. And the fight itself, you were able to get rid of Jamie in the second round, which, if I get my infamous measuring stick out, was half the time it took world champion George Groves to do it. But because it was such a short fight, please, if you can, just walk us through those two rounds from your perspective. Well, to be honest, I I wasn't sure um, Jamie was going to come out. I I thought he might try and box a bit more. I didn't think he'd come straight at me. I thought he'd be a bit more reserved, trying to... Try and maybe make me try and counter me a bit more, but, but no, I just I, I was prepared for every outcome, but I was just I, I just didn't have a clue before the bell went how, how he was going to come out. But he started fast, I always does, and he just played into my hands. I think I mean I, I had planned on throwing a punch really for the first round. I just thought I'd, I'd just try and make him miss, just get the, the measure of him, get the range. But the punches that are flowing sooner than anticipated and. I started some range pretty early on. And I felt that it was more of a make-or-break fight for you than it was for Jamie. Do you agree with that? And also, if so, where do you think he should go from here? Where can he go from here? Yeah, cool. I'll make you right, because a loss at world level is, is not no, no bad thing on that, is it? You're up at the, the elite level. A loss at domestic level is is a lot worse, yeah. And I've I've had a few losses at domestic level, so yeah, it would have been the end for me. I, I think I don't know. He's still he's still yet to fight for a British title. Maybe that, that's uh, uh, the next in line for Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's quite a quite an interesting route, quite a good route, really, for him now. Now you appear to be an entirely different fighter since you've moved up in weight, John. And a lot of fighters say to me. You know, my time was done at that way. I'm going to move up. I'm going to be back to my best again. And most of the time, I've got to be honest, it's complete rubbish what they're saying. But you, honestly, do seem a totally different fighter. And you're not exactly a massive 168 fighter. But what is the difference between you at this weight and you down at 160? Uh, I, I don't know, Joe. What people <laughs> say, oh, you should have moved up sooner. But, Joe, you know I think I could have moved up too soon. And I think everything happened at the right time. Um, I'm not the biggest super middle, but I believe that I don't know. I'm I'm happy at this weight. I'm I'm able to practice things in training, work on things, work on game plans, develop my style, and work on getting fit and not just losing weight. And at 160, that's that's pretty much all all the camp is. You're doing 12 weeks of weight loss. When where now at 168, I'm doing 12 weeks of learning, practicing with weight loss where I've, this camp I've added I've got with a strength and conditioning coach in Dan Lawrence which has added to the game so at 160 I don't think I could have done that but at 168 I've got more to play with and I can develop myself more yeah for sure and I'm going to throw in a completely random question now that I've been meaning to ask you for ages, John. You may have been asked this before, but whenever I watch you and whenever a lot of people watch you, they see you all the time. You tap yourself in the face while you're fighting. Why do you do that? <laughs> I think it's, I want to give them some points on, on the on the boxing steps. No, you know what? I think, I, I really don't know. It irritates, listen, if it irritates people at home, Please believe me, it irritates me 10 times more when I watch it back because I think, what am I doing? That? What is what, what, what am I getting out of that? What am I doing? But I think it all stems from the amateur days when we had the head guards and I think like, 
I was constantly just trying to push an guard up because it was like it would sink down in, onto your eyes, and I think I just feel like it's that. Okay, no, fair enough. I mean, it it, it makes for for interesting viewing. You've you've been doing it lately, and you know you've been starching people really. Um, <laughs> you've now said that you'd like a world title shot next. Do you believe that you'll be able to land a shot at a title in your very next fight, or are you expecting to perhaps have one more in the meantime? So I really don't know. I know there's been talk that the Salons have been on about me or Rocky fighting um, Tyrone Zoyga. If that was to come off, I'd love that, do you know what I mean? But obviously I, I know how this game works as eliminators, final eliminators. And, do you know what? I just, at, at the time where I'm now, I feel like I've been written off so much. I just feel like I deserve it. I deserve a bit of luck. I've, I've lost a few very close decisions on points that I feel I could have easily got my way. And sometimes you just got to get the rubber to green. And I think now is my time, really. And I think I, I think I will get the shot. And I know that, of course, your fight was only a couple of weeks back. You've only just got off of a plane, so to speak. But have you got any idea at this stage when you're likely to next be in the ring, just roughly? Uh, no, no, no idea whatsoever. But believe me, I've been I've been away, but I've been running. I've been doing bits of weights. So. I've been to the gym this morning, I'm ticking over this week, I'm punching, I'm keeping fit, I'm still keeping on top of my strength and conditioning, so as long as I've got eight weeks notice, I'll, I'll fight any time. And of course, the champion's currently at 168, we've got George Groves, he's kind of tied up with the World Boxing Super Series, we've got James DeGaulle, we've got Gilberto Ramirez, we've got David Benavidez. Uh, the WBA regular champion, as you said, Tyrone Zoiga, the IBF interim champion, Jose Uzcatigi. It's unfair to say it, really, but I'd, I'd I'd probably identify the weakest of those guys to be Tyrone Zoiga, despite the fact he's undefeated. However, I'd honestly give you a huge chance against the version of Degal that we've seen in his last two fights. Are those the top two, if you had your own choice? Yeah, definitely. But you know what? I would fight anyone. That interim champion at IBF, he's a monster. Yeah, he is. Don't get it wrong. He's a, he's a beast. But listen, I would fight any of them. I believe that on my day, I can beat any of them. He's a good fighter. He's a proper brute force. But I think he can be outboxed. I just think, uh, or is it Darrell? He just, I just think he's a, he's a too many hard fights. I think he's shown in his career. And he's doing what he's played a dirty game for so long, and he's like for people getting disqualified in the Arthur Abraham fight. He's, he's played a victim for too long, and I feel like that was just a bit of justice done that day when he got stopped by him. But, um, he, Dave Long is a good fighter, the Colombian. Um, he, I don't know if Degal will be in a rush to face him as a mandatory. Um, I believe I mean Benavides is young. Did, I did read somewhere that he might go back down to middleweight, but well, I can't see it. Ramirez is is a monster and he's a, he's a big old lump. But against any of them, I, I genuinely for a shot of old time, I'd fight any of them. Yeah, and I believe you certainly. Um, those two names that I mentioned, though, Degal and um, and and Zoiga. I wanna I wanna ask you this. I wanna put you on the spot a little bit here. If you could only get one of those guys, who would it be? Would it be the All British Showdown and definitely the better money against James Degal, or would it be the perhaps more winnable fight for less money and maybe even having to travel to take on Zoiga? Uh, Joe, I'll be happy to travel to Germany, and I'll be happy to go and fight him in Germany, but. 
to fight for a world title in England, and it would definitely be in London, would be amazing. Against a fellow Brit who's achieved what he has, that, that would be perfect for me. Okay, so that's the one that we are praying for. Well, I, I can't see it because I don't think I'm not. I'm not currently not ranked in the IBF, so yeah, true. Well, that, that that would be like winning the lottery. But I'll see what this month's rankings bring up. I don't know what the girls see. I, I like James Gale and I respect him as a fighter, and you can't not respect what he's, he's achieved as an Olympian. I've, I've watched him through from the days of the ABA. Do you know what I mean? It's in the same divisions as him coming up as an amateur. He was always like light years ahead of me. So it's just it was great to watch him develop and. and win titles, I was like, you can't help but look up to him. We're at a point now where hopefully, hopefully a world title fight looms to me and he's a champion, so I'm looking at everyone. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he was also the man that broke the mould, of course. We had that um, that bad luck period where no Olympic gold medalist could win a world title. He was the first one to do that, so nothing but respect for him. Um yeah, is there anything that I may have left out? Is there anything that you want to say at all before we let you go, John? No, I think that's pretty much all covered, isn't it? Okay, well, that was all I had. Um, any closing words you want to thank anybody at all? No, just thanks, thanks to yourself and everyone for sticking by me through the good and the bad. Um, hopefully we get this world title shot and the good continues and we get the win and bring the world title back. God willing, my friend, God willing. But listen, as always, it's my pleasure speaking with you. You know that. Best of luck for what is next with you. We'll certainly keep um, our eyes peeled and our ears open, and we will catch up again very soon, I'm sure. I look forward to it. Okay, and that wraps up episode 136 of the Box Hard Podcast. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, John Ryder and Spike O'Sullivan. A big thank you to my panel also, Mr. Ayaz Sumra and Miss Mimi Melendez. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. You've all been fantastic for listening, as always. The Prediction League is currently at myself on 36, Ayaz on 39, and you, the listeners, on 40. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Keep following, keep retweeting, like liking, favouriting. Please remember everybody, if you do get a chance, to leave us a review on iTunes. Enjoy your weekends, people, and we shall see you all next week.